Consider a world in which Dale Earnhardt drove only a half a season for team owner Richard Childress before moving on to Budmore Engineering for a couple of years. After that, Junior Johnson fires Darrell Waltrip and hires Dale, beginning with the 1984 Winston Cup season. Once on board with Junior, Dale would have teamed with buddy Neil Bonnet. Dale would have brought sponsor Wrangler to the table with Neil backed by, get this, Coors Beer. It was this close to actually happening. This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. This is going to be a glorious, white-knuckled, God-fearing, spun-out, and half-turned-over racing story that will absolutely rock your world. Seriously, you might want to sit down for this one. Here's how it almost went down. History shows that 1979 was Dale's breakout season after winning a couple of races and the Winston Cup Rookie of the Year title. The following year, in 1980, Dale edged Kel Yarborough for the sport's biggest prize, the Winston Cup Championship. The only time to ever have a driver win the national championship three times successively, Kel Yarborough pulled it off. Now, Dale Earnhardt is challenging for the championship. He was Rookie of the Year one year ago. He is fighting for the championship right now on the speedway. Despite such phenomenal success, team owner Rod Osterlin sold the team midway through the 1981 season to Maverick J.D. Stacy. Not long afterward, Dale left the team, now owned by Stacy. Like so many other times earlier in his career, Dale Earnhardt needed a ride. This time, though, he had wins and a championship and maybe most importantly, a sponsor in Wrangler Jeans to offer. Here's Junior Johnson. We lost Junior in December 2019. The interview included in this episode was conducted nine years earlier in December 2010. They announced that his owner was leaving. He comes straight to me and want me to hire him and bring Wrangler and come on over there. I talked to him down there at Talladega for about a half a day, trying to help him do what I thought he ought to do, because I wanted to help her and Artie didn't. You know, he'd won that championship, and he had a great opportunity to capitalize on it, and he didn't have nobody to go to or nothing to do it, and he'd just about do anything I told After leaving Stacy. Dale got hooked up with Richard Childress to finish out the 1981 season. RC had struggled for years to make a go of it as an independent driver and team owner. And at that point, he didn't have a team capable of contending for race wins on a regular basis, much less championships. At the end of the 1981 season, Dale was on the road again. And again, he went to Junior Johnson for advice. I asked him, I said, well, what about going to Bud Moore? Bud Moore had lost his sponsor. And let me see if I could get a break in my operation to where I can hire you. And uh, I will. Well, he went down there for two years. I know I couldn't do nothing for two years because my contract 
was that long. About halfway through the year of the second year, him and Bud got uh, an argument over Earnhardt was running the cars too hard and he was blowing the motors up and all that. They almost split up beforehand, but I talked to Ben Stead to get it at the end of the year. Dale drove the 1982 and 83 seasons for more in a Ford. Dale won at Darlington early in his first season with Bud, but fell out of 18 races that year, including the last eight. Oh, we've got trouble in turn one. Look at that two automobiles. That's Dale Earnhardt in the Wrangler jeans machine. As you can see, oil pouring out of the rear of that car. Dale Earnhardt is trying to get that car back in gear and trying to move away, but cannot. He was smoking the rear tires there, but he cannot move that wrecked race car away. Yarborough's car spins coming off of turn number four. Another car is also involved spinning high on the racetrack in turn number one. Dale Earnhardt, it was simply Yarborough, or so it appeared, losing control as he came out of turn number four. Earnhardt slowing down dramatically in the back straightaway. Earnhardt upside down. Parts starting to fly. Richmond sliding sideways. Earnhardt goes right to the... Dale was in communications with his crew chief, and now the engine is stalled. They are having one heck of a time getting it to refire. The next season was a little better, with two wins and 13 DNFs. In just two years, Dale fell out of a full season's worth of races. There were crashes and some other parts failures, but the main issue seemed to be that Bud Moore's engines simply couldn't hold up to Dale Earnhardt's right foot. Dale was going to make another change, and it was at that point when history came this close to spinning off into an alternate reality. Well, at the end of the year, Richard Childress was running Ricky Rudd, and Earnhardt couldn't go back over. I sold out to Warner Hodge and half of the team. Well, I had two teams in. Well, I need two spots. I went and put Wrangler and Darrell's team, and I knew the Coors people out I knew them pretty good because yeah. I talked to them a lot, you know, when I'd go to Riverside and stuff. I called them up, and they wanted to sponsor Neil Bond. So I had my sponsors. Yeah, you heard that right. Junior Johnson had already made the decision to fire Darrell Walter in order to hire Dale Earnhardt. And not only that, but Coors Beer was in line to sponsor Neil Bonnet in a second car co-owned by Junior and businessman Warner Hodgson. I asked Junior if that was really the way that it was all supposed to work out, or had I just been hearing things? His reply almost rocketed off the four walls of his farm shop in Yakin County, North Carolina. That's right. More than a quarter of a century after Junior nearly turned the NASCAR world upside down, he compared the two most successful drivers of the 1980s, Dale Earnhardt and Darrell Waltrip. Well, you know, Darrell did me a great job, and I ain't seeing it that Earnhardt would have done a better job. I, you know, because Darrell, I, I couldn't ask for a better job than Darrell did for me. 
he, you know, he just did it absolutely, uh, you know, about a perfect driver for what we wanted and the atmosphere and the publicity we needed and stuff uh, through the years with Mountain Dew and so on and so forth with Budweiser and stuff. He, he was absolutely perfect for her, what, a, what we had. Earnhardt would have been a more explosive type thing. And everybody says you'd want a whole lot more races with with Earnhardt than you would Darrell. But you got to figure in that Earnhardt was harder on a car. You know, he'd go to front if he, you know, if he had to to tire the car up, he'd still go to front. But uh, Darrell took care of the car. He went when he had to. And he could get the job done. I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't say he could outdrive Earnhardt, but I guarantee he could hang with him now. He was, when he went after it, he'd go get it. However, late in the 1983 season, rumors began to circulate that a new player was stepping into the fray, and that player had a big checkbook. A report published in the October 6, 1983 issue of Grand National Scene had Budweiser paying Johnson and Hodgden a staggering $2.1 million a year to sponsor both Darrell Waltrip and Neil Bonnet. If true, it would be the sport's biggest sponsorship agreement ever to that point. And it was true. Well, Budweiser calls me up, says, I'll give you twice as much money as you got now to sponsor both cars. And I said, well, Lord, have mercy, i got to take care. Junior reportedly pitched Dell as his driver to the folks at Budweiser. They didn't want Dell Earnhardt future seven-time Winston Cup champion. Think about that one for a second. What company ultimately sponsored Dell Earnhardt Jr. when he first broke into the Winston Cup ranks? Yeah, that would be Budweiser. I got to thank Budweiser, Chevrolet, and everybody. That left the kingmaker, Junior Johnson, to make several moves going into the 1984 season that still impact the course of NASCAR history to this day. So I went to Richard Childress and I said, if you go back and get Earnhardt and you all make up, I got a signed contractor you can have. You don't have to go no further. You got a driver and a contract, money to race with. And they went back and did that. And I had Richard the contract because the, the Wrangler guy didn't like Darrell. He wanted Earnhardt. And I knew they'd fit, because that tickled them to death. Well, it did tickle them to death. Well, I called the guy that worked for Bill Elliott. He's hunting for a sponsor. And I told him what, what went on with Coors. And I hadn't, did not have the contract signed with them. Or we verbally cut a deal. And I called them and told them I couldn't take the deal and told him about Bill Elliott. That's how Bill Elliott got there. Junior Johnson's profound impact on NASCAR history is enough to boggle the imagination. Without Junior, would Dale Earnhardt have moved back to Richard Childress Racing? Without Dale, 
would there even be an RCR today? Without Coors, what would have happened to Bill Elliott? Without a ride, where would Darrell Waltrip have landed? An RCR, maybe? A Charlotte car dealer was in the process of forming a Winston Cup team, and DW did eventually wind up driving for him later in the decade. Would Rick Hendrick have hired Darrell earlier to help get his new team off the ground? The possibilities are darn near endless, but thanks to Junior Johnson, it all worked out. Hopefully, this week's glorious, white-knuckled, God-fearing, spun-out, and half-turned-over racing story has given you something to think about. Glorious Racing Stories is a production of Dirty Mo Media, hosted by me, Rick Houston. This show is produced by Andrew Curland, executive producers Mike Davis and Jason Schultz. Artwork is by Sean Sin. Special thanks to Leah Vaughn. Broadcast audio is credited to MRN, Fox, CBS, ESPN, and ABC. Check out Dirty Mode Media. YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mode. Dirty Mode.